Hi, I'm Carla Wainwright. And I'm Little Leah. And welcome to the Radical Sex Witches podcast, where we explore the themes of sexuality, feminism, consciousness, love, healing, ritual, magic, and all things witchy and wonderful. Hello, all you poetic pussies, and welcome to another episode of the Radical Sex Witches. I'm Little Leah, and with me, as always, is the rap and clam herself, Carla Wainwright. (laughs) The rap and clam? Yeah. <laughs> I got a quiff. You take a whiff. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you know, we always record this show in the afternoon when we get a little loopy. I know. I know. Maybe I feel like there's maybe a contest in there. Send us your rapping clam lyrics send carla lyrics for her rapping clam we'll put it on tiktok and record it (laughs) not with my actual clam no (laughs) we'll get a real clam shell and just put fur all over it (laughs) (laughs) yes send your submissions and if we get enough we'll make a we'll make an episode about it also known as it's never gonna happen in hell (laughs) Yes, sometimes we're a little disappointed with our submissions, uh, with our listener submissions. So maybe this, all of you listening, this is your chance. Prove us wrong. <laughs> poems from the pussy. You yeah. heard the vagina lo- monologues. Twenty twenty four is poems from your pussy. <laughs> Speaking of, <laughs> a while back in episode one thirty one, it was uh, I was today years old. Historical sex facts. We shared that vulgar and body sex tales and poems called Fablio, which were very popular in medieval times. And while we just gave you a little sample, there is so much more to share. Uh, And guess what? We're reading medieval sex poems today. Yes. I hope you're ready because these are awesome. Um, And you don't have to be a medieval enthusiast like me to find them awesome. Hopefully. We'll see. We'll see if Leah gives it. People have listened to us this long and know we're sick fucks. So they're sick fucks too. It's fine. That's right. Okay. So the Fablio um, are considered to be really important, not only for their approach to humor, but that they focused on sex, class, and wealth and bodily functions, which were very important. Lots of, lots of poems about bodily functions, like eating, defecating, um, And all of these elements were really absent from, of course, like the highbrow, courtly, church-sanctioned religious text. Um, So you can imagine, uh, you know, just sort of like the average villager getting to hear these things and how this was probably a much welcome um, change to church. That's why that guy, the flatulent, oh, there was a guy that was like a a poet and he was a farter and... (laughs) That might have been one of Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. And I think we've mentioned him at one point in Possibly. one of our episodes. Yeah. Possibly. So I, I'm we're gonna go through a few of these examples of these um fablio. So the first one I'm gonna share is the peekaboo priest. <laughs> and this is about a lecherous priest, and he's peeked through a keyhole to look in on a married couple eating dinner, and he cries out in shock. And when the husband inquires as to the problem, the priest scolds him for having sex in the kitchen. And the husband protests that they're only eating, to which the priest tells him to come have a look for himself. So the men change places and the priest immediately pulls the wife into the table (laughs) and thrusts and butts her, that's quote. 
The husband protests, but the busy priest exclaims that despite how it looks, he's just sitting there eating his dinner at the table, and the husband is convinced. Wow. <laughs> wow. Really just goes to show all of the things that like the church can convince people of. Yes, and I think there's also there's a there are, you know the the priests show up a lot in these tales and I think it's a you know it's a pretty well satirical but truthful commentary on um how things were in that time in in the religious orders. Yeah, they were fucking. <laughs> 100%. In the Miller of Arlo, a miller convinces a young lovely virgin into staying at his house so he can grind her wheat. The next evening, I'm gonna grind your wheat, Carla. <laughs> Revolted, the young woman confides confides in the miller's wife, who has her sleep in her bed that night while she takes the guest bed. As the wife expected, the husband comes in from work and unwittingly makes love to her five times. Then he invites his friend in. <laughs> <laughs> who goes another five times and in the morning the wife is furious the miller has been holding back his enthusiasm for so long and the mill the miller is dismayed he let his friend sleep with his wife <laughs> little switcheroo that's really funny <laughs> <laughs> i love that she was pissed at him for holding back his enthusiasm for so long and like Not that she was gonna go over. fuck the virgin yeah i mean we could have been doing this all the time miller husband <laughs> exactly um so many of the fablio uh also use tales employing obscure and highly euphemistic sexual metaphors so there's one called the maiden who couldn't abide lewd language which is also known as the maiden who couldn't hear the word fuck <laughs> And in it, a prudish maiden explains naively to her seducer that he's grabbing her meadow, quote, in the middle of which is a, quote, a spring, which right now is not overflowing. She goes on to explain that beneath her spring lies a bugler standing sentry. And if man or beast sought to gain entry and drink from my clear spring, the sentry would start trumpeting. In reply... Davy explains that his pony needs watering and that his two stable boys can beat her sentry into silence and she eagerly assents. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you have a bugler standing sentry at your uh, <laughs> spring? No. <laughs> Anyone listening to the show can answer that for you too. <laughs> it just amazes me how dirty these are. Mm-hmm. And how probably, like, I can see why they were popular, because we've been perverts since the dawn of time. Yeah, and I wonder, I actually don't know this, but probably, you know, there'd be troubadours who would travel around, and they would do these little plays, and they would set oh, up in yeah. the village, and people just must have been losing their shit, like. Yeah. 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 Other excellent Fablio stories include Trial by Cunt. <laughs> Where three sisters fight for the same man by trying to outwit each other in a reply to a Jeopardy-style question. Who was first born? Your cunt or you? <laughs> Trial by cunt! Oh, that one's going to be going with the invader of the back settlements for sure. Trial by cunt. I think this is a TV show. <laughs> dun dun. <laughs> Trial by cunt. Sorry. <laughs> 
in the crucified priest, the wife of a master carver and her cleric paramour are caught caught on a tight spot. I don't know what that means. She in a tight the, spot. It's my typo. Oh, caught in a tight spot. She tells the priest to hide inside her husband's studio and pose as a naked statue. But the husband, of course, figures it out and exacts his revenge. She basically cuts off his genitals. <laughs> oh, my God. But like, hello, how did you think you could get away with that? I mean, those marble sculptures and stuff were good, but they, <laughs> Buddy probably wasn't that white. <laughs> the blacksmith of Griel delights readers with lines like, he was endowed with a prick, the most colossal slab of meat that served two women as a treat. <laughs> oh, my God. That's an, I just... He was endowed with a prick, the most colossal slab of meat that served to women as a treat. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm dying. <laughs> uh, I, I can't pick a favorite yet. These are all really good. Oh, boy. Have we brought this one up before? Uh, we've we've mentioned this title before. The Knight Who Made Cunts and Assholes Speak pretty much says it all. Yeah, yeah I, I believe this is the repeat offender in our show because you don't forget a title like that. No, you can look up. I mean, you can just search that the night who made cunts and assholes speak and you'll find the story. I'm leaving <laughs> that as me, homework listeners. It makes me think of John Waters and uh, Pink Flamingos and the gaping asshole. And I probably said that in the last episode, too. So <laughs> and then we've also got the mourner who got fucked at the gravesite. Wow, salt burn much, but uh where a weeping widow is approached by a squire who claims to have just fucked his lady to death. Seemingly sad beyond consolation, the widow begs the squire to finish her off in the same way. <laughs> wow, what a brag, man. I fucked her to death. I'm so sad my husband's gone. Take me with him. Fuck me to death. Fuck me to death with your colossal slab of meat. I want your treat. You started this, Carla. You fucking picked this topic. Now you gotta deal with it. Oh, yeah. Good. <laughs> She's wiping real tears, folks. Yeah, I, I am. Okay. So um I I do need to mention that there there's a book of all of this if you want to read them. So Nathaniel Dubbin, who's a professor of modern classical languages at the College of St. Benedict and St. John's University in Minnesota, he compiled, guess the number, 69 medieval tales. <laughs> I wonder if that was on purpose. It has to be. I hope it is. I hope it is. Or maybe it wasn't. And that's just how many there are. And it was just magic. Uh, so there's a compilation of all this, including the ones we shared. And the book is called The Fablio. And I'll I'll link it. Um, and so when I looked it up uh, <clears throat> on Amazon, this is the little description. Composed between the 12th and 14th centuries, these virtual, unknown, erotic, and satirical poems lie at the root of Western comic tradition. Passed down by the anti-clerical middle classes of medieval France, the Fablio depict priapic priests, randy wives, and their cuckolded husbands in tales that are shocking, even by today's standards. So... Link in the show notes, and now this book is on my birthday list. Oh, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> we'll buy it for each other. 
<laughs> yeah, and apparently so the originals, most of them were in French. So the original is there and then he translated them into English but made them you know, they do still Makes rhyme sense. in English. Like he did the interpretation so oh. that you can read it in a modern way, still with that medieval flavor, but that they're really fun to read. Yeah, That's it's supposed cool. to be a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, if any of these are in there. <laughs> All of them, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's also important to mention that two or more of the well-known authors of medieval smut, Chaucer and I can't say this name. Boccaccio. Boccaccio were both influenced by fab Fablio tales. So the 14th C Canterbury Tales by Chaucer, which is basically about a bunch of pilgrims that are traveling together and decided to tell one another stories. And each pilgrim tells a tale, and the stories cover a wide range of genres and themes, including romance, morality, satire, and body humor. And one of the most famous body tales is The Miller's Wife. So basically, Allison, a young wife, is fooling around with a man named Nicholas while her husband's away. Naughty, naughty. Um, Absolon is the unwanted suitor of Allison, and he wants Allison to give him a kiss. So instead, Allison... <laughs> Instead, Allison sticks her butt out the window, and he accidentally makes out with it. <laughs> Whoopsies. And the fact that he only realizes his mistake is when he feels her pubic hair, which makes it even better. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I couldn't tell the difference between her ass and her face. What does that say about poor Allison? <laughs> or his eyesight. And then in The Wife of Bath, the main character goes through an insanely long procedure before she gets to her tale, basically talking about her husband's and her sexual adventures. She talks about how she'll only put up with this guy's advances if he gives her money first. Smart woman. And then she only pretends to enjoy the sex. She's ahead of her time. Uh, so here's the real kicker when she says, and yet in Bacon had, had I, I can't even say that, I never delete. What the f and yet in bacon had I never delete. Someone else is hearing what it's supposed to mean. I just don't get it. Bacon, in which old English translates to is old meat preserved by salting. So essentially she is calling his dick old meat and saying she doesn't like it. <laughs> and yet in bacon hurdle I never delete. Oh, so we've just given everybody a line. That they can say that may not even be ever understood. Or just tell him his dick's like old meat and you don't like it. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh, but then Lord. we have the most colossal slab of meat. So lots of meat metaphors. So much meat. And the, you can't tell the difference between your ass and your face. I'm here for yeah. it. So yeah, it was it I uh, did you read Canterbury Tales in school? N no. Okay, so I I did. I think it was in grade eight. And uh, we certainly did not read these ones. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> and they I probably like the most boring ones. So you would never go sought out the dirty ones yourself. Yes, that's even in totally, that book. Totally. The most boring ones in old English. And we had to tease them apart. Word by word was excruciating. Man, they but, should have done it the other way around. You would have been in Canterbury fans. I know. That's the thing. Teachers, listen. You're reading the wrong parts. <laughs> you got to keep it the OG, man. Like, read the whole thing, and then everyone's going to be into it and want to know more. Like, who isn't interested in medieval smut? 14-year-olds are. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking as a former 14-year-old smut reader of medieval. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Well, I wasn't – I don't think I was reading it then at 14, but I know that I would have 
had it been presented to me. Yeah, no shit. So would I. That's for sure. So, um, yeah. So there, anyway, lots of versions of Canterbury Tales you can read. Uh, you can you just up, look up body bits of Canterbury Tales online. You, you'll be able to delve into all of these great stories. So I uh, also want to mention Boccaccio's The Decameron, which is another famous um, uh, writing uh, from 1350 and includes tales of orgies, adultery, and sexual desire. And the story was actually set around the Black Death that ravaged Europe in the 1340s. Nothing makes me hornier. <laughs> exactly. Than one third of the population dying <laughs> from some horrible disease. <laughs> ah, but here are some of the plot lines from a few of the stories in the Decameron. So a monk tricks an impressionable young virgin into having sex with him because the devil is inside his penis. I mean, I might fall for that one. <laughs> devil dick. Give me that devil dick. Or maybe I already date him when I say it like that. Nuns living in a convent take their supposedly mute gardener as a lover. <laughs> <laughs> he can't say anything. Sit on his face. It's fine. <laughs> uh, a woman has sex with her lover over a barrel that her husband's cleaning. Oh, the original cuckold. <laughs> yep. So governments in many countries banned or censored the Decameron for over 600 years, people. Wow. Okay, so Boccaccio doesn't hold back in his criticism of the Catholic Church in this work, depicting a corrupt and lecherous clergy. And almost a century after its publication, the Catholic Church censored the book by changing the monks and nuns in the story to lords and ladies. Oh, interesting. Yep. Countries such as the United Kingdom and the United States and Australia banned the medieval text well into the 20th century. Oh, my God. Okay. And now I'm going to hit you with one more amazing fact. Because of the combination of sex and humor, Playboy magazine printed episodes from the medieval text in every issue during its first year of publication. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's like super cool. I'm not a Playboy fan and I hate Hugh Hefner, but I mean, like, that's still cool that he put that in there. Yeah. 600 years later. 600. And how funny that we have to change the monks and the nuns to lords, <laughs> lords and, ladies. and ladies. Yeah. Uh, so some commentators, I mean, the Decameron has been studied extensively, think that at its heart, the Decameron is a story of how priests and women use their wits to get sexual satisfaction from their people that they're in lust with. So despite the fact that the overriding moral virtue in the medieval era was chastity, John Charles Nelson, um, in his essay, Love and Sex in the Decameron, sums it up nicely. So he says that in this work, sex is natural and irresistible. True. Religious restrictions on sex are hypocritical and anyways don't work. True. Also true. Yeah. Parents trying to control their kids' sex lives usually end up in disaster. Yep, totally you know it. <laughs> Adultery and fornication can be loads of fun. Uh, and comparing this to Dante, whose lovers ended up in hell. So. <laughs> <laughs> a devil dick, it's back for you. And jealous husbands deserve to be cheated on. Whoa. Yep. Whoa. Like 1350. Could you imagine, though, writing that with... with the church being like the overarching authority and, you know, like, you know, think about the inquisition and being people would be tortured for writing anything that was heretical. And like, that's, that's 
ballsy. And notice that you had said, where was it up here? That it was monks and women or mm-hmm. the priests and women. Usually yeah. it was all just thrown onto us. But no, those fucking priests. That's pretty, pretty interesting. All right. One last medieval highlight to share with you. And it's a good one. Have you ever heard of Gwerful Merchant? Merchain? No, I haven't. (laughs) I'm going (laughs) to learn about her now. But she was a female Welsh poet from the 15th century. She wrote lots of poems devoted to religious themes like Jesus's crucifixion and the last judgment. But her most famous poems were all about sex. In Two Jealous Wives, is this how you say it? Gwerful? I think so. Gwar, that's what I think of, says with regret that wives won't share their husbands with other women, especially her, suggesting that every wife is so enamored with her husband's penis that she can't bear to let anyone else try it out. But these damn wives so respectable won't give up their cocks delectable. Okay, just in fairness, it is written in Old Welsh. So, you know, this is a translation, but, uh, I, you know, it's basically that's the sentiment. And her most famous poem, Hunt, or sometimes more modestly titled Ode to the Vagina. Well, we know what we like it on this show. We're going to talk about cunt. Uh, is a frank and unapologetic exploration of the female body. In it, she scolds men and poets especially, for wasting their time praising a woman's hair, eyes, and breasts when the most worthy and amazing body part is the vagina. Yes. And she also wrote retorts to male contemporaries. uh, And there's actually a a famous Welsh poet, and I'm going to mess up his name, but I think it's Daffod Llwild. Um, And some people think that he was her lover. So he wrote a poem It said, tell me, lovely girl, whose brows are slender, your expression is tender. Do you, strange girl, have a big enough receptacle, a sheath long enough to accommodate this tackle? And so she responded in her poem, the best thing there, 10 times better than silver, is chiseling a girl who makes you quiver. The best thing in life is thrusting fast. It's fun and striking the flint before firing the gun. So she also um, wrote about violence against women in poems like To Her Husband for Beating Her. And this poem is a scathing and surprising remark on domestic abuse in medieval households. So here's a bit of that poem. To her husband for beating her, a dagger through your heart stone on a slant. To reach your breastbone, may your knees break, your hands shrivel, may your sword plunge into your guts to make you snivel. So this is pretty taboo stuff. And I mean... Again, like how many female poets are you hearing about from the the 1300s? Not too many. And so it's pretty incredible that she had this fearless approach to addressing these really taboo subjects. And so she's a pretty fascinating figure in English uh, medieval poetry. And I'll um, put a link so you can find out a little bit more about her and and spell her name so that anyone who's interested and wants to read some of her poems can, um, can seek her out. The back and forth made me just think of Twitter, like people just trolling yeah. each other. Parchment. Yeah. They're just like parchment airplanes <laughs> <laughs> over the stone wall. <laughs> Dirty medieval poetry. Yeah, this is just a sampling. I know there's lots. I mean, I would say. 
actually, before I say that, what's interesting, you know, if you think about other periods in time, I'm sure there were, you know, dirty bits and all of those sorts of things. But this this period in medieval time was, was they were really they they took this to a next level. So uh, yeah, it seemed to be like a very important piece of the culture. And I think that what we think about medieval time, I think is maybe a little bit skewed and not totally accurate. I think they might have been having a whole lot more fun than we give them credit for. I just when I think about that era, I just think about people not having baths. Yeah, their yearly bath. That's, that's nasty when you say medieval like the first thing i just like in my brain is just like dirt <laughs> well you know i did hear that when when uh you know european soldiers would go to fight on the crusades that um the you know the people they were fighting could smell the christian armies coming no shit. from miles away because they <laughs> the muslims bathed Every day, yeah. that's an important part, ritual for them. But Christians never bathe, so they knew they were coming way oh before anybody God. ever saw. So if the wind was not in your favor, your surprise attack was fucked. Perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. Bathing seemed to be um, optional. Well, I wasn't wrong then in that assumption of what that's where my brain goes to. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. I'm not going to start because this is going to go down a horrible, horrible rabbit hole. It's going to end this hilarious episode in the wrong fucking place. So I'll just tell you that the next time we come back, we're talking about overcoming, I can't even say this word, vaginism, vaginismus, which is an oh. important topic. I'm sorry, but vaginismus sounds like it's a Christmas for your vagina and obviously <laughs> it isn't. Merry vaginismus. We wish you a merry vaginismus. I don't think it is for the women who have it, but no, it would be nice no, if that's no. what it was. Well, I mean, you've already just corrupted my brain with all the fucked up shit that we uh, talked about on here. So I apologize if anyone has a vagimismus. <laughs> Can't say it. I'm just going to put myself out of my misery now. I'm little Leah. <laughs> and I'm Carla. We are the Radical Sex Witches, and we will see you next time. Hello, witchy listener. It's Carla here. If you're feeling disconnected from pleasure and unfulfilled in life, reach out to me and let's connect on a free call. I love helping women like you shift to owning your sexual power, reconnecting to your body, and finding your unique radical sex witch within. Go to CarlaWainwright.com or find my contact info in the show notes. Let's co-create a life for you that is truly turned on.